Disney recently, a few years ago, made a movie based upon Rapunzel, that old fairy tale, and they called it Tangled. And in the story, Rapunzel is like the other story. She's locked up in a tower for 18 years and dreaming of what it will be like to leave the tower. And one of her dreams to do this is she recognizes that every night on her birthday, there are lanterns that float up in the sky. And it's her dream to go out and see those floating lanterns in the sky. It'll be freedom. It'll be this, this, this feeding of my curiosity. What is this I see out my window all the time but can't get close enough to figure out? And so as the movie goes, she does get out of the tower. And there's a lot of you know, learning that goes on as she gets out of the tower. But there's a moment when she gets to her dream. She's on a boat in the middle of the bay where the kingdom is. And the lanterns are about to flow over the castle walls and fill the whole sky and fill the water. And it's a beautiful scene if you haven't seen the movie. It's, it's breathtaking, the animation. But there in the boat, waiting for the lanterns to float, Rapunzel says, I'm terrified. What if it isn't everything I dreamed it would be? What if it wasn't everything I dreamed it would be? Psalm 134 addresses that question. It says, a song of ascent. As you know, this is the 15th of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. We've made it. The pilgrims have sung their last song, and they're now in Jerusalem, just beyond the temple gates, ready to go in. Well, do you, do you, what, do you, have you considered this journey we've been on? We started this before the coronavirus outbreak. A lot can change as you climb the mountain of God, yeah? Back in Psalm 120, we saw step one. Step one was saying no to the world and yes to God. Our journey begins when we say yes to God. Step number two was walk. And that's where <laughs> it's not rocket science to extend the mountain of God and to walk with God. When you say yes to him, you take one step. Well, keep taking steps. That's what this whole journey is about. It's walking. Don't stop. Don't settle for the hills in which the psalmist is tempted for. Keep walking. Psalm 122 is step three. That was worship. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. So step three reminds us where we're headed and the joy that's there, that this whole thing is a walk of worship. Step four, Psalm 123 showed us grace. Man, when you get tired, man, when you look at the size of that mountain, grace is going to get you up that. Not your strength, not your bootstraps, grace. Psalm 124 was step five, and there we saw help. Our help is in the name of Yahweh. You will have moments when you're not sure where your salvation is going to come from. Never look anywhere else but God. And in the psalm, we see that there, the psalmist himself breaks in and says, hey, repeat with me now. God is our help. And there will be times when we need each other to say, look to God. He's your help. Step number six, Psalm 125, we saw peace. 
because the Lord surrounds his people just like the mountains surround Jerusalem. Step seven, Psalm 126, we saw laughter. This is not the martyr's path. Oh, some people may get killed for their faith. But you do not have to suffer or hate life to be on this path. God is a God of laughter. And laughter is sometimes the best mark of spirituality. This path has laughter along with the helps. (laughs) Step number eight, Psalm 127, we saw work. Yep, there's work in the Christian life. But work is not what I do. It's how I participate in what God is doing. And so we saw that in that psalm. Step 9, 128, was satisfaction. This journey will satisfy you. Uh, step number, well, I'm losing count. Are we on 10? 129, step 10 was um, grit. There are times when it's going to hurt. Faithfulness is grit. But grit doesn't come from my self-determination. Grit comes from knowing I'm held in God's grip. Then in Psalm 130, we saw the step of hope. When we sink and despond, there's nowhere else but God. God will, his hope in him will pull us out. We need hope to keep going. Hope is looking forward. And so we keep our eyes on the mountain and it will keep us even when we sink in the slew of despondency. Psalm 131, that step reminded us that we are contented in Christ. This is a path of contentment. Psalm 132, rest. That rest is where God's throne is. And when we meet him there, we rest. Psalm 133, step number 14, unity. We had a little detour there. Um, Unity in this psalm, unity in Ephesians last week. Because when brothers and sisters walk together and sing these songs and pray these prayers on our way to the mountain of God, it unifies us. And there's no other way to make it. There's no cowboy hero wrestling all the evil on his way up on his own. And everyone says, you are the hero, bow down. There's none of that in the Christian path up the mountain of God. It's his people unified. That's where the strength lies. That's where God has given us each other. And then finally, step number 15, Psalm 134. The final one, a song of ascents says, By the way, step 15 is going to be blessing. It says, come, bless Yahweh. All you servants of Yahweh who stand by night in the house of Yahweh, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless Yahweh. May Yahweh bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. What if it's not everything I dreamed it would be? This psalm is inviting us to come and bless Yahweh. Why? Have you ever had a dream like Rapunzel, perhaps? Maybe it was a little more ambitious or bigger or more spiritual, but have you ever had a dream? And worried that when you get there, it's not going to be everything you hoped it would be? Have you ever wondered, what will it look like when I get to the top? Especially when the journey is as long as this journey up the mountain of God. These 15 steps have been long. 
and you're about to take the final step and you're there and you're wondering, what if I spent my whole life climbing this mountain to find out that like the other dreams in my life, it was deflating, it was disappointing, that it let me down. See, dreams can deflate us. Desires can disappoint us. And goals can let us down. The psalmist is aware of this. The psalmist wants us to know in these words, come, bless Yahweh. He wants to assure the shy pilgrim, the one who's terrified to find out that everything I did was for naught, to come and realize you won't be disappointed. Just come and see. See, here's how we deal with the threat of being let down, of deflation and disappointment. Sometimes we find it's easier to stay down than to be let down. You understand? Sometimes it's easier just to avoid what could be out there, even the joys, because it's just easier to stay where you are than to experience hurt or disappointment. It's easier to stay down than to be let down. So many people will never climb the mountain. They will stay at the bottom. They will look up at it and say, why don't you just tell me what it was like and I will believe. I don't have to go up there, do I? I don't want, I'll stay down because I'm afraid that I get up there and I'm going to realize, man, I wish I invested more of my life in sports and entertainment or in these hobbies and possessions. So that's one way we handle life. Uh, you know what? Let's just keep God close enough that I don't have to really be let down at all or ever. Other responses are, let's climb up. Let's just see what's there. And then we get to the top and we're, panting and we got the blisters and we get sunburned and we're like oh my goodness Ooh, look at the city tours over here ten dollars plus tips let's go see this tour they're going to take us around all the hot spots of the city and they'll probably explain the whole temple system to us and like yeah let's take the tour of jerusalem and so you take the tour the tour ends and you get all the pictures and you see all the sites and then they let you out in the gift shop and you say "Ooh, souvenirs and oh there's a mall here let's buy jerusalem t-shirts or i scaled the mountain or 15 stepper and you got all your paraphernalia and you're like oh let's buy souvenirs for people down there too and then what's that smell oh oh street falafels street shawarma oh i've heard this restaurant's got great reviews on yelp let's go check it out and so the pilgrims are doing everything but entering the temple itself and how often is that us that we've made the journey and yet, and yet, something holds us back from actually pressing in because part of us fears, you know what? Maybe God isn't that grand. Maybe it's better to be distracted than disappointed. And so we make church a hobby. Or we like to get all the spiritual stuff in our lives we can get, but we never take the Psalms invitation to come and stand in the house of God and lift up our hands and bless him. You see, that's what Psalm 134, these short three verses are doing, is they're saying to all the pilgrims who might be distracted by the sights and smells of Jerusalem, don't think this is enough. Don't stop yourself short. Don't be at a five-star restaurant, eat the appetizer and say, wasn't that great? Let's go home. Get the full course. 
So come, bless Yahweh, all you servants of Yahweh, come, lift up your hands and bless him. It's an invitation. Finish your journey. So we look at it. We look at how it's encouraging us. And we see that it says this magic word, bless, three times. One per verse. Verse one, come bless Yahweh. Verse two, second line, bless Yahweh. Then verse three, it turns and it says, may Yahweh bless you. Clearly, bless is a main theme in this psalm. Three times in three verses. Each of these times, it's the same exact Hebrew word. It's barak. And barak means to bless. Now, what happens is when you bless God, you're praising him. That's what it means for a human to bless God. So one of the meanings of this Hebrew word is to praise. Um, but the primary meaning of this word, look it up. It's fascinating. The primary meaning of this word, Barak, is to kneel down. It also means to bless. And I think that you can perhaps picture what is being said here. It's saying, when you do this, you are entering the posture of blessing God. So it's inviting us, come, kneel down, come, lift up the hands, come, put yourself in the posture to bless God. But, now that would be cool and all, It'd be, it would be a good like little worship tip, like if, if you feel like your knees are good enough and that this, this slanting floor here isn't going to make you topple head over heels down to the front, go ahead and get on your knees and bless God, that would be fantastic. But that's not all this psalm is saying, because in verse 3 there's the turn, May Yahweh bless you from Zion. May Yahweh kneel down to your level. You hear that? God gets down on his knees and plays with us. That's the vision that this psalmist is saying is at the end of our journey, is we enter into the house of God, and there is our Father getting down on his knees, stooping to our level, kneeling to play among us. Oh, that's such a beautiful picture of what God is doing. God is not up there saying, all right, you made it, but he's distant. You got to shout really loud or make sure you make your coins clatter in the tithe box so that he notices or make sure that you give a really good sacrificial animal and that the priest barbecue it just right so that God's nose gets your attention. That's not at all what's happening. You won't be disappointed. You won't be let down, the psalmist says. Because when you come, you will find bless, bless, bless. God is kneeling down to play among his children while we are praising him. There is this great cycle of play. And we have to remember that we are God's children and he's our father. My kids 
oh, they love it when I'm around. And they love, I remember, okay, so we were in Arizona at their grandparents' house. You might remember I was, when we were videoing only and you saw all the crosses on the wall, that was in Arizona. That's not my house. Um, my mother-in-law has a great cross collection. Um, when we were there, I was, of course, working still. I wasn't on vacation. Everyone else was, but I was working and prepping messages and calling people and doing emails and other school stuff, just like the rest of us who were working during that time. And so at the end of the day, I would get in the pool with the kids and hang out with them. But toward the end of the week there in Arizona, my daughter says, Dad, how come you haven't played with us this whole week? I was like, what do you mean? I was in the pool with you for like an hour every day. I played with you. But to my kids, play is when dad is literally on the floor where their toys are playing with their imaginations. It's great if we go on a family walk or we get in the pool or we play at a park, but they're not fulfilled until I, until I get down on my knees and play among them as one of them. That fulfills their dad need symptoms. This is what God does. He gets down on his knees and plays among us. And so can you hear the psalmist plea? Come on up, enter the temple. Your long journey will not let you down because God gets down. And because God gets down on our level, you will not be let down. He's there, right at your level. It's so beautiful. And so we now see, all right, there's a better way to respond as we get to the top of the mountain. When we get to the top, we don't have to wonder, what are we going to find at the top? Is it going to be lonely? Is it going to let us down? Are we going to think, oh, I put too much into that? No, the psalmist says, when you get to the top, you find him on his knees ready for you. Okay, so knowing that then, the psalmist says, here's how we respond. One, come, knowing that God is going to play among us on his knees. Come, come into the temple. That's number one. He's there, but we have to say, all right, Father, I see that you're here. Sometimes we don't come. We're touring the city. We're busy arguing with other people about current affairs. And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But come, just come. Don't forget me. You all came. No, I'm just kidding to everyone else. Um, come. Then it says... In verse 2, oh wait, no, before we move on though, come, you might think, well, who am I? God, like, yeah, there's, there, God loves Ron, and he loves Scott, but me, come on. But the psalmist says, come, bless Yahweh, all you who? Are we here? All you servants of Yahweh. There's no one too high or too small to come. There's no excuses. All are being called to come. And you may say, yeah, but it, it's not a good time. It's inconvenient. Or I missed the window of opportunity. The psalmist will then say, oh, yeah? Look at the rest of verse 1. 
who stand by when? Night in the house of Yahweh. Here's what's interesting. The ceremonies of the temple began at sunup with a burnt offering. Every day begins with a burnt offering at sunup, then ends at sundown with a burnt offering. What are they doing there at night? The temple isn't closed per se, but the official ceremonies are done. If you hear the psalmist saying, all you who stand by night in the house of Yahweh, these are the night owls worshiping at the temple. Now, there are priests perhaps trimming the wicks or making sure that all the fires don't go out because they were told that the fire on the altar and on the lampstand, the fires were not to go out. So they have to make sure through the night that it keeps going. Uh, maybe there's a guard in case some crazy person thinks of stealing something. But also, think, this is a festival. Right? This is why the pilgrims are coming up to Jerusalem. This is one of those high moments, the three times a year in which there will be great celebration across the land where Jerusalem was the center of their world. And maybe the festivals are going on late. Maybe people just can't leave. And the psalmist just wants to say, don't make excuses you're not good enough, or you missed, it's bad timing. There are plenty of people here up late at night. The doors are always open. So come, drop the excuses and come. Drop the falafel and come, or eat it on your way in. So we are to come second. In verse 2 it says, lift up your hands to the holy place. And bless Yahweh. So holy place is probably the temple building itself. Lift up your hands right there toward God's throne. Lift them up and bless Yahweh. Now, Calvary Chapel and Baptist churches and even many Presbyterians. And let's just say, there's a lot of Christian sects that are not into hand raising. Um not very expressive and perhaps that's because of a fear of maybe the extreme charismatic side where people aren't just raising their hands but they're slapping each other around and rolling around and I, whatever else they invent um, there's nothing wrong with using your body in worship the psalms will dance now i'm not necessarily encouraging that you guys start dancing here nor am i sure you want to but we need to understand that the Psalms realize that we are not just disembodied spirits praising God. We are embodied spirits praising God. That we have bodies and that there's a relationship between the two. So when it says to lift up your hands, here's what sometimes happens. <sighs> I don't like this worship song. I don't like it when the worship leader does it in that way. Or that's distracting. Or uh, the, the, the words, first of all, they're not even on the screen. Second of all, when they are, the guy's like always flipping through them like a commercial trying to find the right one. Okay. Or uh, Sunday night, Monday morning's coming up. I don't feel like it. Or you guys know, we've all felt them. Be honest. You've all had a reason not to worship God. You're not always in the mood. And the Bible knows that. 
And the Bible's never guaranteed. Nor does it say you should always be in the mood to worship God. Because if you were always in the mood to worship God, it would be like praising you for breathing. Good job. I cannot believe you're still breathing after all these years. It's amazing. Well, yeah, duh. You're going to keep worshiping God if you always feel like it. I always feel hungry, so guess what I always do? I always eat. The true test of worship is when you don't feel like it. And you know what? God is not offended if you don't feel like it. He's looking to see, okay, where does his true love lie? Because when you really love something, you will do what it takes to engage in it even when you don't feel it. So the psalmist says, lift up your hands. Because sometimes that's how you jumpstart your feelings. You got to do something. If I sit with the remote control saying, I don't feel like going to church or I don't feel like worshiping, I guarantee in three hours, I still won't feel like it. In fact, I won't even feel like getting up to get a drink of water. Hence the proverbial, wife, fetch me a sandwich. Don't be that guy or woman. You have to do something, and sometimes the heart will follow. So the psalmist says, come. Okay, you're there. You're like, but I'm so tired. I just climbed that whole mountain, and I listened to him, Billy Bob, complain the whole time. I know. I know. Just put all that aside. Drop it and lift the hands. And then before you know it, you're in it. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you don't. But you're at least there and you're participating. So the psalmist says, come, that's better than staying down in the valley, and lift up your hands. That's better than saying, ooh, but it's so much easier to take a tour of the temple. Do we have to go in there and actually do everything? Lift up your hands. Then third, come, lift up your hands, and um, bless Yahweh. So of course, as we've seen, then is the act of blessing. So it's praise. It's praising him. That's what it means to bless him. How do you bless him? You say, you are good. You are faithful. That's blessing God. Now, thanking him is thanking him for the things he's done. You gave me feet to climb up this mountain. You've given me friends to be unified with on our journey. You've given me your word. Like, there's lots of things you can thank him for. But praising him is when you make direct statements about who he is. Praise is, therefore, far more intimate than gratitude. And often, when you say, let's praise God, some people, um, totally well-intended, but they'll start, they'll start throwing out technically what's thanks. And I suspect we do that because it's easiest. It's easiest to think about the stuff we have and then to say thank you for that. What's harder is to press in closer to who he is and identify that. Because that means there's an intimacy in a relationship. But the psalmist is saying, all right, it's time to move in and play with the father on his knees. It's time to bless, interact a little bit. So those are far better responses Because the psalmist says, you don't have to worry about what's at the top. We know. We know it's at the top. Bless. God down on his knees. Us praising him in response. That is what we are coming up to. So, as we come to the end of this whole journey, 15 steps, this last psalm is saying, get up. Get up and climb the mountain. Get up and ascend. No more excuses. 
You don't have to worry about, well, but if I do all of this and take all this time, it, will it be worth it up there? What will I find up there? Is it going to be scary? Is God going to turn out to be this villain when I was lied to and told he was some great person? Nope, you don't have to worry about any of that. The psalmist is saying, you see it right here. So now this is the logical action. Get up, get up off your butt and walk, climb the mountain of God. Sometimes we need to be told, don't, don't just sit in the status quo of comfortability um, of what you're used to, but go get up and ascend. And, and you have this help. There are 15 steps that the psalmist is guiding you through. And you can see, okay, oh, I don't have to be surprised when I cry for help. That's part of the journey. Oh, but and there's laughter to look forward to and there's satisfaction. There will be despair, but he tells me how to hope. And oh, I might need grit. Okay, cool. So I'll know that God's got me in his grip and uh, there will be time of rest. And you see the 15 steps and you realize, okay, 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 okay. We can do this. Let's get up and let's ascend. It's so much easier with people though, isn't it? When we look at each other and as, when a church community looks at itself in the eyes and says, enough, let's keep climbing. Why are we satisfied with where we are? Aslan says in the Chronicles of Narnia, when they get to the new Narnia, he says, further up and further in, further up and further in. Don't be satisfied with your first steps in Narnia. Keep on going. The mountains are calling. They're there. Further up, further in, let's get up, let's ascend. Because here is what's at stake. This is a long time ago. 15 weeks or so ago, we saw the first psalm. Do you remember the condition of our psalmist, of us, on the first step? Do you remember this? Look at Psalm 120. This is all bad. This whole psalm is not like the rest. This is the worst of the Psalms because this is what it looks like before you start your journey. Psalm 120 verse 1. In my distress, I called to Yahweh. Here you go. His life is distressing. It goes on. Deliver me, O Yahweh. This is verse 2. Deliver me, O Yahweh, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Everyone around me has got this awful mouth. Verse 3. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Three verses, three bad situations. Verse four, a warrior's sharp arrows. Oh, it doesn't get any better, is it? With glowing coals of the broom tree. That's really just long burning wood is what that's saying. Then verse five, the psalmist concludes, woe to me. It's rough out here. I don't like this. Woe to me. So, He's living a distressing life in this violent place with a lot of liars. And he, he concludes, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Remember, those are far-flung places. So he's just a foreigner. He doesn't fit in where he is. <laughs> Christians, you feel that way, don't you? You sure shouldn't feel like you fit in everywhere. And often, when we've got our eyes where they should be, we recognize, yeah, there's somewhere else to be. Verse 6, too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It's been a while. Now do you remember? That's where we started. In my distress, I called Yahweh. Woe is me, a distressing life. 
That's what's at stake if we don't start the journey, if we don't get up and ascend. You will live here dwelling in the tents of Kadar and sojourning among Meshech. Just think Barstow and Timbuktu. Just not where you want to be. No offense to those who live there. Or Psalm 134. Bless Yahweh. Bless Yahweh. Yahweh bless you. This is a life of blessing. So the distressing life or the blessing life? That's why the psalmist concludes with this invitation. And at the end of this 15-step climb, he says, all right, get up and let's ascend because here's what's at stake. If you forgot because it's been so long ago, you can live like the person in Psalm 120 or you can participate in the blessing of Psalm 134. It's your choice. It depends on whether or not we go. And it sounds to me like any of the pain, any of the suffering, any of the hardship of ascending sure beats Psalm 120. So, friends, perhaps you've already made the connection. But Jesus was let down for us. He came to earth and he was crucified by the people he made. He came to his own, John chapter 1 said, and his own received him not. Jesus was let down so that we can get up. When the Psalms of Ascent are calling us up, further in, further up, it's because they know you will not be let down because Jesus already was. He is God in human flesh on his knees playing with humanity. That's what John chapter 1 says. In the beginning, was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh what does that mean he got down on his knees to play among his people bless philippians chapter 2 this great song of jesus where paul writes or sings or pens whatever says look he did not consider equality with God, something to be held on to, but instead, he became a human. Moving down. Not just a human, but a servant. <clears throat> Moving down. Not just a servant, but a servant obedient to death. Moving down. And not just obedient to death, but crucifixion the most shameful, humiliating, painful death invented at that time. He was let down. But, therefore, Paul says, God has exalted him because of this. And so we can understand, this is how we can get up the mountain, because Jesus was let down for us, and now he will raise us with him. He will walk with us up the mountain. See? Jesus is the one who gets on his knees and plays with us, and he will be there for us. Also, uh, 
That's also what John 13 is about. John 1 starts with the whole, he came and became flesh to be with us. In John 13, you see that enacted in real time when Jesus puts on the servant robes and gets down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. John 1 is all theological. The word was God, the word became God, and seminaries love to study that chapter, right? John chapter 13 is the practical outlook of that theology. This is what it looks like when God becomes flesh, when God becomes among us. He's literally on his knees. So that's Jesus inviting us. That's Jesus saying, hey, you heard what my father's like, but now you've seen it in me. So get up, ascend. It will be more than what you dreamed it would be. We don't have to say, I'm terrified. What if it's not everything I dreamed it would be? Like Rapunzel. We don't have to say that. We get to say like the psalmist, I am blown away. It's more than everything I dreamed it would be. Hallelujah, the end. Psalms of ascent over. Just get up here, people. Come, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. The end. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us the encouragement in the psalms.